2: Welcome to Rudy Max's World. I'm your genial radio travel show host, Rudy Max. And every weekend at this time, we talk travel. Coming up this hour, we're going to take another look at that renewed controversy surrounding the crash of TWA 800 as it took off from JFK Airport 17 years ago. And then I'm going to introduce you to Charles Veely, also known as the world's most traveled man. We're going to hear about his quest to visit more countries and regions in the world than any other living person. And our potted and residence, Patrick Smith, is going to drop in. We always learn something interesting when he does. And then, are you familiar with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police musical ride? Well, neither was I until this week, but it may be coming to a town near you, and we're going to hear more about it toward the end of the hour. I'll also have a few deals of the week for your consideration. Um, by the way, uh, Patrick Smith, we're, we're going to reach him in Dublin, I think. And we also we almost also may, at the end of the hour, pay a little visit to Wimbledon that's going on this weekend in London, see what the scene is, is there. Um, do we have Christine... We got Christine. Good. Well, it was a stunning uh, revelation last week when uh, six former investigators of a horrific plane crash 17 years ago went public to say they thought there was a cover-up of the investigation of that crash. The official explanation for the crash of TWA-800 that killed 230 people was a faulty fuel tank. That plane exploded just after takeoff, just right over Long Island, over the bay there, just as it took off from JFK. Um, but there were reports by many people that there seemed to, they saw flashes of a missile in the sky. Um, anyway, these six uh, former investigators are encouraging the National Transportation Safety Board to reopen the investigation, claiming this might have been an act of terrorism, or at least something involving a missile. Maybe not from a terrorist, but it certainly wasn't an accident. Christine Negroni has written extensively about that doomed flight. She's the author of a book called Deadly Departure, Why the Experts Failed to Prevent the TWA Flight 800 Disaster and How It Could Happen Again. That book, by the way, was published by HarperCollins 13 years ago. Keep in mind, the disaster was 17 years ago. Uh, Christine, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you very much, Rudy.
2: I understand you've seen the documentary. What was your reaction to it, And, and, and did you learn anything new since you began covering this story?
3: Well a lot has happened in the past 17 years certainly um and I'd say that there's a lot of um there's a lot of hype associated with the documentary um, you know they talk about investigators breaking their silence and crash investigators and that in itself is a bit of a misnomer because um, the, these are not um, NTSB investigators who are now changing their changing their position on the uh, on the uh, cause of the crash uh, one of them is a former NTSB investigator who came from the automobile industry not the aviation industry and he was an expert in the cabin interior uh, but the other investigators were people who had long made their concerns about the investigation known in the official context of the investigation, they were with the airline pilots' association, and um, and one with TWA. They the the, the fact that they're being uh, touted as having broken their silence is also a bit of a of a joke, since I've I've they've been talking to me about this for years, uh, starting at the time of the crash. Well, so this, this
2: th- is interesting because the impression I got, you know, and I read it probably or followed a little more closely than most people probably. Was that these were actually investigators of that crash? I well, mean, they the, were. They were investi- a fi-
3: yeah, y- yeah, but they yes, weren't yes,
2: investigating. It, a fi- they weren't NTSB investigators.
3: No, no, they were not NTSB investigators. And you probably know, Rudy, that when, when there is an aviation disaster, people come in from various aspects of sure. the investigation. So, some, you know, people from Boeing, people from the airline, people from the pilots union, the flight attendants union, the air traffic controllers, they all come in and they all participate. But you would not, you know, they are contributing their expertise from their source of experience right. Uh, they, uh, right and they're putting that in they're putting that in but the only ntsb investigator who participated in this documentary is um, oh, his name has just flown out of my head well tell me uh, tell, uh, tell me what the
2: thesis t- t- okay mr Hughes, tell me what the, th- the thesis and if you can do it in three sentences the thesis of your book 13 years ago was regarding this crash
3: the thesis of my book is that there was a conspiracy, and the conspiracy was that Boeing wanted to protect a fuel tank design that it knew to be problematic, and it successfully did it for 35 years. That's the thesis of my book. I mean, All right. There was so anybody you Anybody so to blame? It was it was the the airplane manufacturer.
2: So to this day, you believe it was a fuel tank explosion as opposed to a missile from a Navy sub that was obviously went awry. Or
3: I and I and everyone who has taken a serious look at this uh, look at the crash. Yes.
2: Now, did, 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 do I understand correctly you have seen this documentary?
3: I did, I did. I I was actually given access to take a look at it.
2: And what is the thesis of the documentary, that this was uh The uh,
3: same... Here, I, I think here's the core. I know you don't have a lot of time, but I think here's the core. There was a lot of craziness going on immediately after the investigation because the FBI was in there, and they came in with their big feet and their big attitudes about, you know, this is a crime, and we're going to get to the bottom of it. And I think that in that atmosphere, people who were pushed aside began to see this as something nefarious, the FBI had something to hide, and there was a mystery about what caused the crash and I think all of these things conspired to make it feel like something it was not but so these I mean, these
2: eyewitnesses who said they saw missiles a missile hitting the plane and so on and the
3: uh, well I, eyewitnesses as far as I know didn't say they saw a missile eyewitnesses said they saw lights they couldn't understand, but mm. you know in terms of what eyewitnesses do and don't you know, do and don't remember accurately, volumes have been written about how, how people think they see one thing when in fact they see another, or they sure. seek explanations for what they don't understand by you know, what they've heard other people say. So the fact that a lot of eyewitnesses saw things they didn't understand certainly is a mystery. I am not discounting that that's, it's mm-hmm. mysterious. But I've covered airplane disasters for many, many years, and I can tell you there's always mysteries, there's always unresolved questions, but there just is no evidence to show a missile, a bomb, you know, striking this airplane from the outside. There's just no evidence of it, and those things are not subtle. They do leave evidence. They leave metal. They leave residue. They leave, you know, they leave lots of indications, and they're not there. But there's so much evidence that said that the fuel tank was uh, a volatile. Uh, it was a, it was a problem, a design problem on the fuel tank. Other airplanes that had exploded in similar ways before then and since then, that evidence is there. And As you know, a, <laughs> I I hope I'm fairly convincing of it in my book, which is you know 230 pages in which you know lays out that case.
2: Uh, have have are the fuel tanks we're flying on now today corrected
3: on some planes yes on some planes no the, the
4: the
3: the regulations really only uh applied to future designs so uh, this affected all boeing uh 7 products with a 7 in the beginning um now the dreamliner is a new design and the a380 is a new design and they had to protect against fuel tank explosions but in previous airplanes the you know that's being the, the changes are being applied you know, even as we speak, but no, the entire fleet is not protected, and that's something like eight thousand airplanes, or it was, you know, a few years back. I haven't done a check on the numbers, but it's many, many airplanes.
2: This is another whole other story, Christine.
3: It was a it was a big story at the time. I'm telling you, you know, my book was was, was I, I don't want to sound immodest, but it was, you know, quite shocking, and you know, many of the people who reviewed it, you know, reviewed it as an important, you know, important uh, documentation of a of a true air safety issue. Christ- but, Of course, it was a long time ago. <laughs>
2: Christine Negroni's book was published in 2000 by HarperCollins. It's called Deadly Departure: Why the Experts Failed to Prevent the TWA Flight 800 Disaster and How It Could Happen Again. Christine, I'd like to have you uh, on maybe a couple of weeks from now. Let's let's talk about these fuel tanks and where it might be, where we might be in the process of switching them out. Are you up for that?
3: Lovely, love, love to do it. Just trust me. There's going to be a lot of news on this in the next couple of weeks.
0: All right, we'll do it. Did you know
2: that our loyal sponsor, Travel Guard, is a leading provider of travel insurance plans? When you buy a plan, it comes with 24-hour travel assistance. It's a true lifeline when you're away from home. Help during travel delays, medical emergencies, and with lost or stolen baggage are just some of what Travel Guard provides. Choose from several affordable and comprehensive plans. Travel more and worry less. Visit TravelGuard.com or RudyMaxa.com. Coverage limited by the terms and condition of the policy and may not be available in all states. Underwritten by National Union and Fire
1: Insurance Company in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Non-insurance services provided by Travel Guard Group, Incorporated attention men if you're urinating more often or waking at night to urinate we want to send you a free bottle of beta prostate beta prostate is our best selling supplement made with a natural ingredient that supports healthy urine flow and more complete bladder emptying it's also been shown to reduce waking at night from the urge to urinate to find out how to get your free bottle just call 800-466-5523 since beta prostate debuted our warehouse has shipped over 2 million bottles. But there are still men who have yet to discover this amazing supplement. That's why for a limited time, you can try a full 30-day supply of Beta Prostate free. You only pay shipping and handling. This free Beta Prostate giveaway is only available while supplies last. And once it's gone, it's gone. Just call 800-466-5523. That's 800-466-5523. Call 800 800- 466-5523
5: Are you ready to get away this summer? Then stay <sighs> at America's Best Value Inn and you might find yourself playing in Las Vegas. Join our value club for the chance to win monthly travel prizes or the grand prize, a four-night VIP stay at the D Las Vegas, a Lexington Legacy Hotel on famous Fremont Street. Sign up at americasbestvalueinn.com and get away. Stay <sighs> and play this summer.
0: The telephone number to call the program is 800-387-8025. That's 1-800-387-8025. Or visit the show online at rudymaxa.com. Here again is Rudy Maxa. You ever heard about competitive travelers? Well,
2: they are out there. And what they're competing with is to touch base or get to or be on or visit any number of countries around the world. And even they even divide countries up into territories and... uh, uh, island groups and states and provinces and there's a handful of them who uh are vying for the title of, uh, of world's most traveled man now there are various ways to measure that and we don't have time to get into all the various ways and clubs that are measuring it, but certainly my guest, my next guest, Charles Veely, is one of the top contenders. He uh, he's always been fascinated by places around the world. When he was a young man, as a stamp collector, he became an executive with a software company based outside of Washington D.C. I'm I'm very familiar with being a Washingtonian, and I know the guy who helped start it. Charles Veely uh, uh, did all right in that regard, and wound up having a bankroll sufficient to start visiting a whole lot of places. And if you go to a website called mosttraveledpeople.com, you'll see that he's at the top of the list with having visited 829, and we'll talk about what those places are in just a moment. Uh, Charles, welcome to the show. Nice to have you here.
6: Hey, thanks, Rudy. Good to talk to you.
2: All right. So you started as a kid. You were collecting stamps. You were interested in all these different countries. You realize there are all these places. You, uh, you get a scholarship from Harvard. Um, and you go into the Air Force, and you, for the first time, get out of the country, if I'm uh, summarizing this correctly. And uh, you retired in 1999 at the tender age of 34 to really devote your time to to visiting these places. And when I say visiting, some places you basically just touched ground for a little while and kept moving, right?
6: Well, yeah, it's it, it wasn't that I started off trying to visit everywhere in the world. Actually, what I started started off doing when when I, I you know finally got. Off of uh internet time when we were you know we are doing the startup and working eighty hour weeks for so many years uh nineteen ninety nine it just seemed like uh I could do whatever I wanted, and what I wanted was to study languages and try and be suave like james Bond right so uh, that <laughs> meant going to Paris, going to Munich and living in those places and and uh and living in Italy and studying the languages. Um, because that's what i thought would be would be nice to do and also i was newly married at the time and so we, um, you know caught my wife up going to places like thailand and hong kong and australia and new zealand and, and tahiti and so we started on around the world and then a year abroad of living abroad and doing the, doing the studies and it was during that time that we took a trip to south africa uh, around about December of two thousand, and that really changed my perspective because you know I realized that you can travel between hemispheres for the seasons, and that also um it was just a completely point of view a uh, different point of view down there when I said, "Hey, this is fantastic where Where can we go from here?" The names coming up were Mozambique and Malawi and Botswana and Namibia, and these are places that I hadn't thought of before, so it really started expanding my uh, horizons beyond the sort of limited uh at that time typical tourist track and and the the european focus
2: and, but but it's interesting that early on though you actually were uh, I understand you learned five languages you actually were with your wife staying in places for a, a good amount of time i mean you were actually getting to know the oh, yeah that absolutely
6: Right, right, sure. So we lived in we lived in Paris for three months, and we lived in Munich for three months, and we were we were actually moving into Rome when this sort of revelation hit uh, this uh, trip to to South Africa. And I said, Hey, you know, it's going to be cold in Rome for the next three months, and it's really warm down here. And so why don't we try and see what kind of itineraries we can put together that will maximize, you know, weather. And let's, let's start making it two years instead of one. So the one year led into two. And then that led into, hey, how many countries are there in the world? And that sort of led to the counting. And then I got, I got hooked on, the, um, I got hooked on wanting, to, wanting to experience everywhere because the new places were, were opening up my mind just the same way as the URL pass had when I was 19 years old.
2: And I gather that if if you happen to live in the Washington DC metropolitan area, you can pick up a copy of Washingtonian. Um the June issue actually has a piece on on, on Charles. Um uh, and th- there's a suggestion in the piece that in the long run when you started collecting countries, so to speak, or became a competitive traveler, it didn't necessarily help the marriage.
6: Oh yeah, well I'm I am uh I'm single now. I have a lovely girlfriend, but um no, I am I'm uh, divorced and and uh it, well, I, you know, it, it was fine at first. For the first four years, we traveled together, and then um, the goal was to do as much as we could before we started having kids.
7: Mm-hmm. But
6: the quest to go everywhere kind of over, overtook that, And so I, try, I did my best to balance the time between the kids and that, and I, you know, uh, came off the road to be home with the kids. Uh, and I have three wonderful, wonderful kids. Um, and, and so, you know, eventually eventually I was weaned off of uh, doing it full-time and, and, um, and stopped doing it altogether for, for some time. And now I do a trips as I can. Uh, so one or two a year, I'll, I'll go on an expedition. Um, last year I, I landed on Navassa Island, which is a uh, fish and wildlife U.S. territory about 100 miles south of Guantanamo. And I also landed on um, Avis Island in the middle of the Caribbean, which is a sand spit that's held by Venezuelan Marines. A sand Uh, (laughs) spit? Yeah, and they built built sort of a dormitory on stilts on the sand spit so that they can claim the surrounding waters for the fishery and for the potential mineral rights. They put eight Marines on there who greeted me with machine guns at dawn (laughs) when they realized that we were storming the island in our little rowboat (laughs) <laughs> they brought me to the commander. Fortunately, I speak Spanish, and uh, he, you know, we had a nice conversation where he informed me this is a military base, and so we can't uh, hang around and take photos, but, and there's but, nothing we can offer you unless you need emergency food, water, or medical assistance. And, um, I guess so. But that, 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 that counts as a landing. It was there all of, you know, 30, 45 minutes.
2: But uh, let me ask you. Let me Marines. ask you. My guest is Charles Veli, he's one of the world's most traveled men and uh, persons, uh, men or women. But Charles, how do you how do you even know this sand spit exists and why does this count as a place?
6: Well, sure. I mean, one of the reasons that I started most traveled people is because there is uh you know there's debate over how to account for the land area of the world right and, you know you start with a country the un countries and there are i think 194 now officially but that just begins to touch on what the surface area of the world is you know i use the example of french polynesia and tahiti that's an overseas territory of france but it's the opposite side of the world from france and so you can't say that you've been to one and automatically have been to the other just if you're counting the un countries Mm-hmm. And the French Polynesia, in and of itself is five very disparate island groups spread over thousands of miles. So do you count it as five things, or do you count it as one? And so um, as, as I formed most Travel People, there were about four main lists out there, and I reconciled all of those. And so whenever there was a conflict, I would take the more granular ones. So, for example, French Polynesia would be five different island groups, the Society mm-hmm. Islands, the Australs, the Marquesas, the Tuamotus, and the Gambier Islands all very different mm-hmm. uh, and so that you know i applied that across the world and uh, then i uh, let the um, the membership vote on how uh, you know on other issues and, and items and so now the list is uh... eight hundred and seventy three uh, long i i believe and i mean the the larger countries of the world they're split into their constituent states um, and then, you know, ethnically distinct uh, regions are, are split out. Island groups which have, which have a certain area of distance uh, off, the, off the mainland are, are split out. And, um, and that, by the way, that criteria comes from the ham radio uh, people. So radio amateurs have this very technical description of how to split up the world. And their list is, is something like, you know, 350 long. So you take all these different lists, reconcile them, and then add the voting on top of it, and that's how we get to 873.
2: And you visited 829 of them, you have 44 remaining, you've traveled over 2.3 million miles, taken 5,100 flights, been to 325 UNESCO World Heritage Sites, unbelievable. Uh, but, but you are continuing this, but at a, a much more uh, slower pace. But when you say you go on an expedition once or twice a year, does that mean in one expedition you might try to hit five or six of these destinations?
6: Well, that's not really possible anymore because there's no real density. I mean, the, 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 only, the only real trip where I could even visit three would be to go to Pakistan. There are, there are three of the eight um, regions province. of Pakistan that I have not yet visited. And so that's the only one that, that could be, you know, potentially dense for that. Um, you know, no, they're mostly pretty remote. Um, there are a couple that do have airstrips that I just haven't gotten around to or was denied or, or had some problem the first time. But mm-hmm. most of them would be kind of expedition quality. Need to organize a boat, need to organize some people, and cost sharing, and all of that. Um, and and that's another reason for the community for most traveled people, because then people are out there doing it, and they can tap into others for um, you know for for cost sharing. Uh, is it? Char- yeah, is those char- forty those for, those forty four. I don't know yeah. when or if I'm ever going to be able to finish those.
2: Is Charles really crazy, you be the judge. Visit his website, uh, mosttraveledpeople.com. Travel, most hey, Charles, thank you so much for dropping by. I appreciate it, and uh, I'm in awe. A, a, Thanks, a Have a great weekend. Thank you very much. You can read more about Charles V. Lee at mosttraveledpeople.com. And if you happen to have a copy of the June issue of Washingtonian, there's a profile of him there. By the way, he has gone back to work with MicroStrategy um, and, uh, and uh, clearly has, has taken his foot off the accelerator a bit. Don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment with more
0: call now to talk to Rudy Maxa at 800-387-8025 you can also email the show anytime at info at rudymaxa.com
2: Hey, folks, with summer vacation planning in full swing, have you thought about travel insurance? Our loyal sponsor, Travel Guard, offers valuable coverage that travels with you and your family. Travel Guard's available 24-7 with several plans to choose from, covering medical emergencies and evacuations, travel delays and trip cancellations, lost luggage, and more. Travel Guard's your lifeline away from home. Visit TravelGuard.com or RudyMaxa.com. Coverage limited by the terms and condition of the policy and may not be available in all states. Underwritten by National Union and Fire Insurance Company in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Non-insurance services provided by Travel Guard Group Incorporated.
4: Several research studies show that people who are on the same diet and exercise program lose three to four times as much weight when taking 1,100 milligrams of pure green coffee extract than they do when not taking it. So if you are serious about losing weight, call Longevity Medical Clinic to order your bottle of pure green coffee extract at 866 869 6864 Extension one. That's eight six six eight six nine sixty eight sixty four, extension one, or order online at lmclinic.com. That's lmclinic.com.
0: participate in the program call now at 800-387-8025 or log on to rudymaxa.com here's rudy maxa
2: 33 minutes after the hour this segment of rudy maxa's world is brought to you by travel guard a leading provider of travel insurance plans whatever your travel needs you can choose from several affordable and comprehensive plans by visiting travelguard.com. Travel more and worry less is the motto around the world headquarters of travelguard.com. Coverage limited by the terms and conditions of the policy and may not be available in all states. I carry a travelguard card. You ought to as well. Even if you only travel once a year, get a short-term deal. Get covered. Get covered. You know, how many times have you seen an advertisement for a book uh, that begins with the line everything you always wanted to know about and then you can fill in the banks? Well, My next guest is a regular uh, guest on this show, Patrick Smith. He's a pilot with a commercial airline, and he has a new book out. It's called Cockpit Confidential, and I can honestly tell you it's everything you want to know about those planes and those pilots, uh, the planes you fly and the pilots you see when you fly commercially. Patrick has been writing a column for Salon.com, or did write a column for Salon.com for years. Um, He still writes on his own blog called Askthepilot.com, and he's compiled these years of knowledge and his very facile use of words and being able to translate complex uh, aviation and commercial aviation questions into language that those of us who are not in his world can understand. Uh, Patrick, I'm sorry we've run out of time to talk to you with that introduction.
7: (laughs) But it was so flattering. It was worth it. (laughs)
2: Pat, we reached Patrick, by the way, in Dublin, where he's over uh, working. Just landed in Dublin, apparently. And uh, top of the morning or top of the afternoon to you, Patrick. Um, okay, you did, you wrote this book. Why?
7: Well, primarily to inform. I mean, my target audience, I guess, is uh, is the frequent flyer, somebody who flies a lot. And I start with the premise, everything you think you know about flying is wrong. And, and that's tongue-in-cheek is an exaggeration, obviously, but th- there's an element of truth there. Um, there's so much bad information out there, Rudy, when it comes to air travel, so many urban myths and wives' tales and just bad info. And and my job in the book is to, is to set things straight and, and to myth-bust a little bit and, and get the good information out there. Um, well, also I know to, go go ahead. ahead. I'm
2: sorry. I was going to say, I know it, during various appearances on this show, you have exploded some of those myths. One of, the, one of your least favorite, and, uh, you know, is that, uh, you know, with computers these days, planes can fly themselves, for goodness sakes. They can take off, they can land, they cruise through the sky. Um, but what, where does all of this, where does much of this misinformation come from? Is it from journalists who occasionally get assigned to write a story about commercial aviation and don't really know much about it, but just sort of go with whatever they hear? Where, where does the misinformation come from?
7: It comes from different places, and the particular myth, whether it's uh, the myths of, of cockpit automation or myths about cabin air and airplanes or just uh, myths about the inner workings of airlines and airline culture and and, and, and that sort of thing, I mean, wh- which one you pick, uh, there, there are so many to choose from. And, and where do they come from? Why do they... Uh, Perpetuate year after year I don't know The media has a lot to do with it probably um, The media has always been notoriously shoddy When it comes to reporting on airplanes Airlines and pilots um, that, That's a really good question and, and that's something I get into in the book actually, Especially in uh, chapters 1 And then later in chapter 7
2: and, and this book is totally accessible. You say just for frequent flyers, but I think it's accessible for, you know, somebody who just flies twice a year because it really does explain a lot of what goes on behind the scenes with airlines and certainly with pilots.
1: Yeah, and
7: it's not just informational, Rudy. It's, I hope, entertaining anecdotal. and uh, anecd- informational, not just informational. It's anecdotal, and there's a, an entertainment uh, aspect to it. I hope, anyway, that, it, that it's funny. Uh, there's a memoir sort of uh, vein to it, lots of little uh, sidebars and, and personal essays. And also what I'm trying to do in the book, uh, and this is something I've tried to do in my writing all along, and that's uh, change people's perspective somewhat on air travel and encourage people, crazy as this sounds in this day and age, to, to reappre- re-appreciate the experience. And I do that mainly through three ways, which is reminding people of how affordable flying is in this day and age, how safe it is how reliable it is and how uh, you know service uh, for all of the content people have for airlines and for flying you know isn't really that bad I was I was sitting on a plane not long ago and there I am in economy class okay and I've got onboard Wi-Fi I've got seat back video with a uh, hundred or more movies to pick from I've got a hot meal um, you know it's the system really isn't all that bad, and we tend to mythologize, I think, this idea of the, the golden age of, of flying. I think, to a large degree, that golden age is right now, when you look at, at the affordability, the safety, and the reliability aspects of everything taken together.
2: You know, I, I can't agree more. I often say to people, you, you, want, you want uncomfortable travel? Try taking a stagecoach from Boston to Los Angeles. There's uncomfortable travel, and expensive travel, for that matter.
7: And a lot of us have forgotten how expensive flying used to be. There was a study that came out a few months ago showing that fares right now are 50% of what they were 30 years ago.
2: Did you say 50 or 60?
7: Yes, by the way, that includes all of those ancillary baggage fees and and, and other little add-ons that airlines love so much and and people hate. I mean, flying is affordable, and that definitely did not used to be true when only a, a small segment of the population could afford to fly at all.
2: True dat. Pick up Patrick Smith's book. It's called Cockpit Confidential. It's entertaining. As he says, it's, it's, it's this is not homework. This is an anecdotal book with a behind-the-scenes look that I think will surprise you and make you appreciate flying more. Patrick, have a lovely time in Dublin. Have a Guinness for the rest of us. And we'll talk to you again soon, I know.
7: Thanks, Rudy. Anytime.
2: You can pick up Cockpit, Cockpit Confidential, obviously, in any bookstore or check out his website, askthepilot.com. Nice to talk to Patrick.
0: We'll be right back in just a moment to talk to Patrick. Uh, Uh, Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Rudy Maxa's world is coming right back, so get on the phone now at 800-387-8025. That's 1-800-387-8025. You can also enjoy the program anytime at rudymaxa.com.
1: Attention men, if you're urinating more often or waking at night to urinate, we want to send you a free bottle of Beta Prostate. Beta Prostate is our best-selling supplement made with a natural ingredient that supports healthy urine flow and more complete bladder emptying. It's also been shown to reduce waking at night from the urge to urinate. To find out how to get your free bottle, just call 800-466-5523. Since Beta Prostate debuted, our warehouse has shipped over 2 million bottles. But there are still men who have yet to discover this amazing supplement. That's why for a limited time, you can try a full 30-day supply of Beta Prostate free. You only pay shipping and handling. This free beta prostate giveaway is only available while supplies last. And once it's gone, it's gone. Just call 800-466-5523. That's 800-466-5523. Call 800-466-5523.
5: Save more of your money when you stay at America's Best Value Inn and spend more of your time doing the things you love. Over 1,000 hotels in North America—we've got you covered with free internet and continental breakfast at most locations. Plus, enjoy hundreds of instant rewards with our Value Club. Visit AmericasBestValueIn.com. With "value" right in our name, you know you're getting a
8: great deal.
5: Ladies, are any of these symptoms familiar?
8: Weight gain, hot flashes, rapid heartbeat, night sweats. How about fatigue, nausea, low energy? Or what about sleeplessness, low libido, and fat storage, especially around the belly area? If you are a woman over 40 experiencing any of these symptoms, you probably have hormonal imbalance. And until you balance your hormones, it'll be practically impossible to get rid of these problems. But you're in luck because amberin is the all-natural formula clinically shown to cause weight loss in women over 40. With no big changes in lifestyle, amberin restores hormonal balance in women over 40. So you can finally lose the weight. And all of the other menopause symptoms simply go away. To receive a complimentary risk-free trial with a free 30-day supply, just be one of the first callers right now. at one Free supplies are limited, so be one of the first callers right now at 1-800-893-9155. That's
4: 1-800-893-9155. Several research studies show that people who are on the same diet and exercise program lose three to four times as much weight when taking 1,100 milligrams of pure green coffee extract than they do when not taking it. So if you are serious about losing weight, call Longevity Medical Clinic to order your bottle of pure green coffee extract at 866 869 64 Extension 1. That's 866 869 6864 Extension 1. Or order online at lmclinic.com. That's lmclinic.com.
0: Got a question or comment? Need advice? Jump on board now by calling the show at 80-387-8025 or visit the show anytime at rudymaxa.com. Now back to Rudy Max's World. Hey, on Monday it's Canada Day. What better time than to talk about, uh, or what better time to
2: talk about the Royal Canadian Mounted Police uh, event called the Musical Ride? It's actually a series of events have been around since the 1870s. A series of drills set to music. And based on cavalry skills, so we're talking to horses here. To fill us in on it, Superintendent Marty Chesser is the officer in charge of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police Musical Ride. I think we're reaching him. Are we reaching you in Ontario today,
9: uh, Marty? I'm in in Ottawa right now as we speak, Ottawa, Canada, which is our nation's capital, and that's our whole uh, base. It
2: certainly is. Ottawa is the capital of Canada. Uh, um, uh, Superintendent Chester, tell us a little about uh, the Royal Canadian, uh, Royal Canadian Mounted Police musical ride. What is it? I just gave a very brief overview of it, but I know you can do it more colorfully.
9: Well, yes, it's, uh, it's performed with 32 horses. We do uh, about a 30-minute show, and it's cavalry m- m- movements uh, done to music. And we started in 1887. Equitation uh, training was part of our training back in the 1800s. And up to 1966, and uh, so uh, a lot of guys had to practice their drill. Cavalry drills uh, was part of the curriculum, and so on the weekends they would uh, go out and practice, and people started coming, and then somebody said, let's put it to music. So that's how the musical ride started, and then we've been performing around the world uh, since that time. And you
2: tour the United States, don't you?
9: Yes, we've been to all over the all over the states. We've been to Dallas and then down the uh, western seaboard there. And uh, most recently we went to Wyoming last year. We celebrated the 100th anniversary of the Wyoming State Fair. And we went to Topsfield, which is just outside of Boston. I think it's one of the oldest fairs in the United States. And we have great reception when we get to, uh, get to Topsfield as well.
2: Now, I understand if, if, uh, if our listeners or if I visited Ottawa that you actually have a uh, a whole museum that I can visit there. Is it regarding yeah, so the I,
9: Royal So it's from our, our May-long weekend to Labor Day weekend. You can visit our stable seven days a week. And, and there is a museum in, in there that uh, describes uh, the musical ride and also shows other, uh, not, not only just what the RCMP does. You know, So we have so many different job opportunities within the RCMP. Uh, explains a little bit of what we do.
2: Can American apply for one of those job opportunities?
9: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, well, really? Yeah. We have to be a Canadian didn't... citizen. Are you a Canadian citizen, Rudy?
2: No, I wasn't thinking of doing it, but I thought somebody else might be. But uh, yeah. no, I, okay, so you do have to be a Canadian citizen. Let me ask you: the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, are they leaving aside the musical ride, which is obviously a, a very uh, highly structured and, and technical performance? Do right. Royal Canadian Mounted Police still uh, ride horses in, in the course of their duty?
9: No, and that's a good question. We st- stopped that in the, uh, I think, the 30s or 40s, using horses for active police work. Because that's what I thought. Off. I
2: thought that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think every I don't, I, I, I excuse me, I didn't think that. I thought Royal Canadian Mounted Police were still mounted on horses regularly, but but then I saw a travel writer's blog last week that said they haven't used horses in years. I was like, what?
9: Yeah, so ours is strictly a ceremonial uh, ceremonial public relations unit. And, and that's kind of that sort of bridges the you know, the original uh, uh, RCMP uh, to the modern day now. So it's kind of a, you know traditional.
2: By the way, if you're thinking of going to Ottawa, and this is and you particularly like horses or drills like this, uh, the Facebook page for uh, the musical ride is called the Mountie Shop M O U N T I E the Mountie Shop on Facebook. Um, uh, you you say there are 32 horses involved. How many horses total do you have there in, in, in Ottawa? Do you have many more than that, or is it exactly no, yeah,
9: we have. Well, we have two, two. We have a breeding farm which is out in uh, Pakenham, Ontario, about 40 minutes outside of Ottawa. And we have about 80 horses out there, and then we have about 80 horses in Ottawa.
2: And is there a so particular it, breed of horse that, that works yep, well in we this? We use
9: uh, we're primarily a Hanoverian, which originates from Germany. And we use that because of uh, a couple of reasons. First of all, their temperament is very, very good. Uh, secondly, they're a bigger boned, uh, horse than the thoroughbred crosses we used to use a while ago. And we found that, uh, you know, 25 years ago, we used a thoroughbred cross and we found that a little bit, uh, too much, to, uh, to handle for our, for the, our riders because 80% of our riders have never been on a horse until they come to our program. Are you a rider? And I, ha- well, that's a good question. I, I ride. Yes, I, I didn't ride before I came to the musical ride. So I was a rider in 1988 and mm-hmm. then left the ride, and then came back as the officer in charge in 2009.
2: All right, but you do so, not participate so in the musical ride itself as a performer?
9: I lead the men and commence the musical ride and greet the VIPs and the guests that come to watch us, and then I do the salute at the end.
2: So, Well, there you go. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police musical ride. New news to me. I know not news to others, but I appreciate your filling in folks like me. Uh, Superintendent Marty Chester, thanks for joining us. All right, thank you very much. And uh, best Canada Day wishes for Monday. We'll be right back in just a moment. Got uh, we're going to check in and drop in on Wimbledon to uh, see what's going on over there. When we come back, right after this uh, commercial break.
0: To join Rudy Maxa, call 800-387-8025. You can email the show at info at rudymaxa.com. Now back to Rudy Max's World.
2: Welcome back. Uh, it's Wimbledon's been going on. You probably read the news earlier this week when uh, favorites like uh, Rafael Nadal uh, was, uh, was eliminated. <laughs> like really early in the process. I um, wanted to check in, see how the weather's going, what's going on out in Wimbledon. Ashley Jones is the commercial manager for the Wimbledon Lawn Tennis Museum and Tour. Didn't know there was a tennis museum there. I'm going to ask Ashley about that as well. Ashley, welcome to the show. Nice to have you here. Thank you very much, indeed. Nice to meet you, Rudy. All right, so it's afternoon in London as I speak to you live on Saturday morning, East Coast time in the United States. How's the weather today?
10: It's a beautiful day, yes. Sunny, sunny and warm, beautiful summer's day.
2: Excellent, excellent. Um, now, now, did the did the elimination of some of the bigger names on the tour uh, dampen enthusiasm around Wimbledon?
10: Not, not in the slightest. No, I mean, you know, everybody has their favourite players uh, and and people from their own country they want to support. So not everybody supports the the, the top players. There's some of them are rooting for the for the others as well. And of course, this opens up opportunities for them.
2: I've never had the privilege of coming to Wimbledon. Is it possible at this point in the tournament uh, for someone to? come to Wimbledon and buy a ticket and and be a uh, be a spectator?
10: Uh yes it is. I mean uh, we hold back 500 tickets in center court and 500 in number 1 court uh each for each of the first 10 days and those are sold sold to the first 1000 people in the queue. Um after that you can uh, purchase ground passes uh, and get and come into the grounds and enjoy all of the action on the outside courts.
2: So if I were going to come next year and wanted to be guaranteed a ticket, what advice do you give for travelers? Booking Uh the year ahead?
10: Um, well, the, the best uh, approach is to enter the ballot uh, because the tickets in Centre Court Number 1 Court and number 2 Court are largely issued by ballot. Um, so the ballot opens in August and closes in December, and then you find out in January or February if you've been lucky. Um, the other options are to go to one of the official ticket suppliers. Uh, in the United States, that's a company called Keith Prowse, uh, and they would be able to provide you with tickets with corporate hospitality packages and everything else as well.
2: Uh Uh-huh, okay. I'm sorry, ballot is, you mean random selection? Is that what that means? Absolutely right, yes. I see. Okay.
10: Now, tell me a little bit about... A very fair British way of doing it. (laughs)
2: Yes. (laughs) Uh, Tell me about the the Lawn Tennis Museum and Tour. Is that open just during the the games, or is that a year-round attraction? And what?
10: Not at all. It's a year-round attraction. The majority of our visitors actually come uh, outside of the championships, Um, and we run tours for 11 months of the year. So they start on the Saturday when uh, one after one championship is finished, and they finish on the Sunday one week before the next one starts. So it's 11 months of the year, and they run daily.
2: And what will I see on a tennis tour, a tennis museum tour?
10: Um, you'll go well. Uh, also, you've got the museum itself, which contains the original trophies, the donations from the most recent, um, pl- from everybody's heroes nowadays, as well as artifacts going back to 1555. Uh, and then, out in the grounds, you go into Number One Court. You go up onto the top of the picnic terraces, which have a great view of Central London. You can see Big Ben, the London Eye, right across the whole city. Then we come down past Court 18, where the world's longest tennis match took place three years ago, mm, um, and then start exploring guy. the Millennium Building, which is where the players are and see some of their facilities before entering centre court and sitting in the seats facing the royal box.
2: Tell me one, 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 something, one piece of something in the museum that, that hails from 1555, if you know it.
10: it. It is a rule book for the game Real Tennis, which uh, or Royal Tennis, uh, which is an older sport than lawn tennis, but we, we have a rule book that was printed in Venice in 1555.
2: My goodness, my goodness. Well, Ashley, have a great uh, rest of the games, and thanks for dropping in and bringing us up to speed. You're very welcome. Nice to meet you, really. Nice to meet you. Ashley Jones is the commercial manager for the Wimbledon Lawn uh, Tennis Museum and Tour. Uh, Twitter is Wimbledon. The website is Wimbledon.com, and the Facebook is Wimbledon. Easy enough. A couple of deals here. This is a pretty good one. British Airways uh, just flew its first 787 this week between Seattle and London, and they've announced a fare sale. Um, Two of the the cities in North America that will receive 787 service, that's a big dreamliner, Toronto and New York, they're offering fares. Beginning for fall travel this fall at $787 in uh, economy, which is pretty darn good. The travel dates are October 25th through December 15th, and then again Christmas Day through March 24th. No promotional codes needed. The sales available on any aircraft, not just the 787s, but you can certainly talk to uh, British Airways and find out uh, which flights are, be, are likely to be 787s. Um, the other, you can go World uh, Traveler Plus, which is premium economy for for twelve hundred dollars not bad because the cool thing about that is if you have any obvious points that's the equivalent of frequent flyer miles on british airways if you pay that twelve hundred dollars for premium economy for just ten thousand obvious points you can upgrade to business class each each way ten thousand each way so for twenty thousand obvious points not bad not a bad way to get uh... uh to and from london from uh, newark in business class lie flat seats and all that sort of thing um, that's a pretty good deal because if you were actually paying for business class, you'd be paying, oh, gosh, I don't know, uh, several thousand dollars. And uh, if you were using obvious points, it would be 80,000 points and t- 1,100 just to book outright yep. as an award ticket because the taxes are so uh, are so high. Plus, if you book a premium, econ- uh, premium economy and then use those 20,000 for a round-trip business class, you'll still be collecting obvious points. So there you go. That's the strategy on that one. Let's see if I have another short one. for We've only got 20 seconds left. Have I got a short one here? Seven-night Tuscany and Venice vacation package, $1,400 a person. Round-trip economy class from New York to Florence and from Venice back to New York. A manual shift economy car, five nights uh, in Tuscany. Two nights in the Venice area, all local taxes, hotel service charges. It's brought to you by GreatValueVacations.com. It's for travel between November 1st of this year and March 23rd of next, and they've got prices for coming out of other US cities. GreatValueVacations.com. If you always wanted to go to Tuscany or Venice, great price $1,400 including airfare and hotels. coming to the end of the hour, thank you very much to Jeff Ryder, my engineer. Janet DeSavino McDonald is my executive producer, and thank goodness she is. I'm Rudy Maxa. Delighted to have you as a listener. Delighted to have our member stations carrying us. Can't wait to see you again next week when we'll talk more travel. See you then.
0: You've been listening to Rudy Max's World. And as always, you're hearing must-hear radio on the SSI Radio Network.